Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through to 42. Uh, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on their beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and of all of them were and, sorry, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they'd been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called the Sanhedrin together, the Sanhedrin, at the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, uh, we found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain, the temple guards, and the chief priests were at a loss, uh, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look! The men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went to his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priests. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem of your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replies, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Uh, But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who who was honoured by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Validus appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, uh, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census, and led a band of people in revolt. Uh, He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not get to stop these men. 
you will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. And they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning everyone and let's pray together. Father, please would you speak to us through your words for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, there are some things that are just utterly irresistible, aren't they? One of those is that Caramac chocolate bar or a second helping of Anna's Pavlova or getting into the sea on a hot, sunny afternoon. And as we turn to Acts chapter 5 and verses 12 to 42 this morning, we see something else that is equally even more irresistible, and that is God being at work. Now, we see it, for instance, in in that first paragraph there from verses 12 to 16, uh, extraordinary miracles going on. So it says at the end of verse 16, for instance, and all of them, everyone who was brought to the apostles, uh, all of them were healed. Uh, and but that wasn't the most extraordinary thing. Uh, there's there are more uh, uh, wonderful things which go on. So, for instance, we see the preaching of the gospel, which is just unstoppable. Uh, and the apostles get thrown into jail, and then an angel turns up in the middle of the night and releases them and says, "Look, I want you to go back where you were to the temple and do exactly what you've been thrown into jail for." So, uh, verse twenty, he said, "And uh, go uh, stand in the temple courts and tell the people all about this new life." And they did, so that up the next morning they were there in the temple courts preaching the gospel uh, and people were getting converted. There were just extraordinary things going on. And uh, the irresistible God at work. And then the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, turn up uh, after breakfast and they have their meeting. They go and uh, call uh, for the apostles to be brought from the jail. They go there. The jail's still locked, but there's no one there. And then someone says, look. Those are the guys over there, aren't they? And uh, they're here in the temple courts, have note, but there is actually a little crowd gathering and uh, people wanting to know what they're saying. And they get brought to the apostles, uh, there, uh, to the Sanhedrin. There's this big debate about what they're going to do with them. A guy called Gamaliel uh, uh, talks some sense and then they agree uh, that they should just let them go. So they give them a flogging, they let them go. And what happens at the end? Well, in verse 42, uh, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So God is irresistibly at work. Uh, And you see a couple of things here. First, uh, there there are a couple of dangers to this. On the one hand, there is the danger of those who are opposed to God being at work. And then uh, on the other hand, there is the danger uh, for those who are those through whom God is at work. So first of all, the danger uh, for those who are opposed to it. And you see here, it's actually the religious people who are most opposed to it. We look in verse 17, the high priest and all the members, all his associates who were members of that party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. And the Sadducees were the the liberals of their day. They were very religious and they were very liberal. They didn't believe in anything supernatural. Uh, They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in heaven and hell. And actually what's happening here is all those things are being challenged. They're being confronted with those things. 
as the apostles are preaching. Uh, it's understandable that they feel threatened by it, but they're actually the Sadducees. They're actually doing the devil's work. And the devil is trying to annihilate the church, and he's using the religious leaders here to do it. Uh, the church to them is rather like a spider on your living room carpet. Uh, now, some people would say, oh, don't do any harm, it's fine, just let, he'll, 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 you, you know, just let him go, you won't see him again. Someone else would say, uh, no, we must kill all spiders because they're horrible, I don't like them, and uh, even little ones go into big ones, and uh, you might go and stamp on it or something. Um, or you might take it outside, or whatever. But anyway, you need to get rid of it. Uh, now, for the Sadducees... It's like the people who don't like spiders. They want to get rid of this religion. They want to get rid of this new thing that's challenging them, uh, which they're frightened by, scared of. And so they're doing everything they can to stamp out this new uh, thing that's going on. John Stott wrote once, the devil uh, has never given up the attempt to destroy the church by force. And that is, well, that is what he's seeking, that's what he's seeking to do here. And where God is uh, clearly and obviously at work, the devil is almost always there, seeking to stop it and to destroy what God is doing. And that's actually a very dangerous thing, because in the end, God will win. So anyone who is opposing the work of God is going to, uh, and is, in a very difficult, a very dangerous position. Because in the end, God always wins. He wins here, and in the end, he always wins. You see what happens at the end of the chapter, that the gospel is going forward, uh, and we see uh, what is going on there. Uh, so there is the danger of those who oppose the work of God. Uh, God always wins in the end. But there's also, there is a danger for those who are being obedient to God and through whom God is at work. So Charles Spurgeon, for instance, said, um, believing and obeying always run side by side. And obedience is a good thing, isn't it? Obedience is a very good thing. Many years ago, many, many years ago, uh, there was a farmer who saw a number of horsemen coming towards his farm and he'd just sown a field. And so he told his son, look, go out and shut the gate and make sure that those horsemen don't run through the newly sown field. So the son went out and shut the gate. The horsemen stopped by it and they uh, wanted the, the son of the farmer to open the gate and let them through. Uh, and the son said, uh, no, I'm very sorry, but I've got orders not to open the gate for anyone and I must be obedient. And there was some argument, and then the leader of the horsemen said, Do you recognise me? I'm the Duke of Wellington, and I demand that you open the gate. And the son replied, uh, well, first he doffed his cap at the Duke of Wellington, uh, and then he said, I'm sure the Duke of Wellington would not wish me to disobey orders. I must keep the gate shut and not allow anyone to pass without my father's permission. And the Duke of Wellington was, uh, was rather impressed with this, and he handed the boy a sovereign, and then they continued their gallop uh, by a different route. Now, uh, to be firm and clear and, and clear and obey the Lord is a good thing, just in the same way as that farmer's son obeyed his dad. And the early Christians here, especially the apostles, they're obeying the Lord, but they are on a collision course with the religious leaders, with the Sadducees and the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin. And you're, if you're obedient, it will be costly. There will be opposition to us doing what the Lord wants us to do. 
In verse 17, we saw there the religious leaders were filled with jealousy. In chapter 4:18 and chapter 5, verse 40, they're ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus. And that's exactly what they do go and do. And at the end of the chapter, in chapter 5 and verse 42, there they are proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. You follow Jesus like this, you will get into trouble at some point. It will happen. Uh, There is a danger in being obedient to God. But read this passage again, and it is wonderful, isn't it? Uh, uh, and in many ways you can see there's a repeated pattern and it goes something like this Uh, it's uh, preach, get arrested preach the gospel to those who have arrested you uh, get warned, get released preach, get arrested preach the gospel to those who have arrested you get warned, get uh, get released repeat, repeat, repeat and the thrilling thing as you see that happening is that God is so obviously at work So that's the first thing. Uh, God is at work. That's an extraordinary and wonderful thing. But in this chapter, God is so clearly at work. And the second thing to say is, so rejoice. So rejoice. Uh, If you you dig down here uh, and uh, you look up, you've got to look up with a smile on your face about what's going on here. Rejoice over what? I mean, what do we what do we rejoice as we read this now? Well, uh, first of all, rejoice in extraordinary miracles. Uh, I mean. Sometimes evangelicals can get a, find it a little bit awkward when you read that first paragraph from verse 12 to 16. Um, but then we read, and all of them were healed at the end. And then there's a miraculous release from prison with the angel there in verse 19. And uh, another miracle, an extraordinary catalogue of the miraculous going on here. As evangelical Christians, we tend to play those things down. Maybe we've, we feel, oh, it's a bit awkward. And um, but, but let's be mature about this and say, there are wonderful things happening, and we should rejoice over that, and we rejoice in other wonderful things happening. But actually, you know, the miracles that they saw there, there to authenticate the, uh, the apostles, it's like my wedding ring here. And uh, uh, on my, if I get it off, oh dear, <laughs> I just hang on a moment. Um, I'll hold my hand up in the air, then we can get it off. It's coming, it's coming. Anyway, my wedding ring says on the inside, I could get it off so easily earlier on. My, 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 my wedding ring says on the, on the inside, ah, oh, here we are, there we are, my wedding ring, got there in the end. And it says on the inside, uh, Phil, 29881, love, Anna. And then just next door to that, there is a hallmark saying that this is the real deal. It's a, it's genuine gold. And the whole hallmark there is to authenticate, to say this is genuine, this is real. In the same way uh, that the apostles had the miracles, the signs and wonders, to authenticate them, to say that they are real and what they're saying is something to be believed. This is God at work. And uh, uh, so the miracles validate, authenticate the apostles. But let's not also, we need to remember that there is an even greater miracle going on in that people being uh, born again. So in verse 14, for instance, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. Amazing. More and more believing in the Lord. And that is the greatest miracle that is going on here. Whatever the miracles, let's be mature about this. But we want to rejoice. We want to rejoice in whatever the, the, the Lord is doing. Uh, and say so with a smile on our faces. Second thing is, rejoice in the persistent preaching. That The apostles, they just wouldn't take no for an answer. 
So you look in verse 29 here, and uh, uh, so Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. God told us to do this. Sorry, but you're not going to stop us. They're always saying you're not allowed to stop us. Uh, Rejoice in that. Rejoice. We'll keep on going back to verse 42. But day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus the Messiah, God's anointed saviour and king. That is the good news. That is the most wonderful good news that we want to be proclaiming ourselves. Um, uh, It was explained more back, say, in verse 31. God exalted him, that's Jesus, to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance for the forgiveness of their sins. Not just Israel, actually, but all of us. Uh, We're encouraged to repent, to change our minds, to turn around, to turn back to God from the road that we might be on at the moment, to ask him to forgive us our sins. For you, Maybe you've been um, coming to online services at, uh, for BH and Holy Cross over this period of lockdown. Maybe you're not yet ready to call yourself a Christian, but you're thinking actually there might well be something in this. And this is actually explaining what would be a really good thing to do, to turn around, to say, actually, I really think that this is the right way of living life and I'm going to turn around and going this way rather than the way I was before. Technically that's called repentance. It means turning around. Changing your mind, turning around. And, and, uh, and he talks here about the forgiveness of sins. Asking God to forgive us our past and then we might walk with him uh, going on from now on. If you'd like to do that, you can do that just simply and start this walk uh, with Jesus. And you can do that in your own words using uh, some of the, the ideas and the things that we see here in verses 31 and 32. You could do that today in your own words. Start a new life. Start a new life today. So rejoice in the preaching. God is irresistibly at work. There are amazing miracles, both the physical things and even more amazing, actually, the people turning to God for new life. And then there's a persistent preaching. And then the third thing is rejoice in the stubborn growth. The religious leaders wanted to stamp this out. And yet the harder they tried, the worse it got. So for them, the worse it got. I mean, Tertullian, uh, a leader of the early, very early church, and he was addressing rulers of the Roman Empire. And he said this, kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to dust. The more you mow us down, the more we grow. The seed is the blood of Christians. Now, if we go to another country, I I like to know what is likely to kill me, call me paranoid. Um, But for instance, before we went to Australia um, to go and see some friends for the first time, we... uh, um, uh, we found out things like, I think it's, I think this is the case, Australia has the, f- the five most poisonous snakes in the world, uh, not to mention the funnel web spider and the redback and so on. And I can't imagine why anyone would go in the sea in Australia. And it's not just the sharks or the saltwater crocodiles or the stonefish or the congas or uh, the stingrays. Um, it's the um, box jellyfish. It's a thing that uh, uh, scares me the most. Um, because uh, if you get one of their uh, tentacles, I suppose you'd call them, uh, on, say, your arm or any part of your body, uh, it's there. And then the trouble is when you peel it off, it then releases its neurotoxins into your bloodstream. So the more you try to get rid of it, like peeling it off your arm, the worse it is for you. Just like the early church, if you happen to be someone who is trying to stamp it out. 
And they just kept on going, and it just kept on growing, and nothing's going to stop them in their preaching of the gospel. The Lord brings the growth, but it's the early church, it is Christian people like you and me who need to keep on going out with the gospel to invite people to talk, talk Jesus and so on. So let's not give up, let's keep on going, and let's keep on rejoicing in how the early church did that and take that example uh, into our own lives as well. And then the fourth thing is this, rejoice in the rejoicing. Rejoice in the rejoicing. At verse 42, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Uh, You could just say that quickly and you think, oh yeah. But think about it again. Rejoicing that they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Uh, That is really hard to stamp out if you're against that kind of thing. So when they suffered because they'd been arrested and they were flogged, rather vicious kind of thing to do before they released them. Um, And in their suffering, the apostles said, um, we're rejoicing that we've been counted worthy to do that. And we should rejoice in their rejoicing, shouldn't we? What guts, what passion, what uh, commitment in their own hearts, what a mindset that they felt they'd been counted worthy to suffer that they counted their suffering an honour, like an MBE, or a privilege. Uh, They counted it a good thing to suffer for Jesus. They they felt they'd been specially called and honoured and chosen to do so. That is remarkable. They didn't choose the suffering. They didn't do it deliberately. But they counted it an honour to suffer for the name of Jesus, a privilege. And that is a huge change of heart, isn't it, from the way that we think about suffering. I mean, which of us would think about suffering and persecution a privilege? Which of us would actually rejoice in the fact that we had been awarded this honour by the Lord? Well, the first Christians did. And uh, Lord, please give us some of that mindset too. Rejoice in the rejoicing. God is irresistibly at work. Uh, so first of all, rejoice. and And then... And this is our third point. So God is irresistibly at work, so rejoice. And the third thing, and never stop. Never, never, never stop. Actually, it was Napoleon who said, victory belongs to the most persevering. So never stop. Keep on going. Persevere. But uh, never stop what? Well, never stop rejoicing. For a start, never stop rejoicing. Never stop rejoicing in the gospel. Uh, the good news, right at the end of the chapter in verse 42, that Jesus is the Messiah. And as we meet Sunday by Sunday, uh, in this manner, we want to rejoice. We'll be back in the building in some shape or form soon, but it looks like we won't be able to sing. So let's sing on our own. Let's sing at home. Let's sing when you're out on your bike. Sing when you're walking down the road or whatever. But Christian people want to sing because that's one of the ways that we rejoice together. And we're so looking forward to actually being back in the building and being able to sing. What a great day that would be when we can actually sing together. I know so many people have told me that they're looking forward to being to being back in church rejoicing. Um, a, a more private way of doing it might be in the car, actually. Uh, you know, if you've got a, if it's a CZ player or you put something in the USB thing in the car or whatever, uh, then why not have something there and uh, <clears throat> as you're driving, sing and know that you're uh, joining in with others. And keep on going back to the gospel. Whatever happens, whatever situation uh, we're in, we rejoice and we rejoice in the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Verse 42 again, never stop rejoicing. And the other thing, and just finally to say this, never stop proclaiming. 
never stop proclaiming. Uh, there's new life to tell people about uh, in verse 20 there uh, and uh, the angel says to, uh, to the apostles in the prison he says go and tell the people all about this new life so there is new life to tell people about there's the cross and resurrection to tell people about look at verse 30 there is uh, the fact that Jesus is the ruler and we want to tell people about repentance and forgiveness in verse 31 and there is Jesus the Messiah that we want to tell people about from verse 42. Never stop proclaiming. But I wonder what the early church would think of us. I really wonder sometimes what the early church, uh, if they could you know, see us now, I really wonder what they'd think of us. What do you think the early church would think? Bemused at us, perhaps? Confused, maybe, as to why people who claim to believe find it so difficult to tell anyone or maybe they're uh, they would be concerned that we don't appear to enjoy being saved terribly much or maybe they would be dismayed perhaps that so many things which they did automatically you know of course christians pray together of course we do why wouldn't we or uh, you know of course we uh, christian ordinary christian people go with the gospel why wouldn't we why so many of those things, they don't and they won't see quite so much in us. Well, we, I think we, we could take that as a challenge and we want to never stop proclaiming. It is hard sometimes, isn't it? It can be difficult, but we want to try and ask the Lord to help us to never stop proclaiming. God is irresistibly irresistibly at work in Acts chapter 5. It's a wonderful, wonderful uh, part of God's word. Um, we see there's the danger, of course, uh, when God's at work. There's a danger if you oppose it. There's the danger for those who God is working through because there's going to be opposition. But remember, God is irresistibly at work. So we rejoice in the extraordinary miracles, in the persistent preaching, in the stubborn growth of people being added to their number. And we rejoice in the rejoicing that they would even rejoice in being awarded the honour of suffering for Jesus. And never stop. So why don't we ask the Lord today, please Lord, may we never stop rejoicing and may we never stop proclaiming. Let's ask him that now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, a great chapter. Thank you for this wonderful part of your word. And we pray, Lord, just very simply, please help us never to stop rejoicing and never to stop proclaiming for your namesake. Amen.